You've heard of them, you've seen them, you know someone who believes in them, and chances are, that same individual has tried to make you believe in a conspiracy theory. I am your social chemist Nelson, and today, we are going to continue our dive into the world of conspiracy theorists. I want to mention a few things before we explore the rabbit hole. If you're listening on Spotify, click on that follow button to get notified when a new episode is released. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, click on that subscribe button. But most importantly, if you can leave me a nice five-star review, I'd really appreciate that. By doing so, you help expose this podcast to other people who might be interested in conspiracy theories and politics. Also share this podcast with your friends. The best form of advertisement is word of mouth. Even though I'm new to podcasting, I want to grow this podcast naturally. Plus, it'd be really interesting seeing what kind of discussions you guys are having. You can follow me on Instagram at socialchemistig, on Facebook at socialchemistfb, or you can email me at thesocialchemist at outlook.com, and I'll respond to any questions or comments you guys might have. If you follow me on Facebook, I'll begin to include the sources for each podcast to make sure that I'm not talking just nonsense. Plus, it'll give you guys an incentive to follow me. Now, with that being said, let's get started. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to cover two topics. The first one is how conspiracy theories develop and the mechanism of how we come to believe in them. What happens when a person that is conspiratorially inclined first comes in contact with a conspiracy theory? And the second thing we're going to cover is the type of conspiracy theorists. Now, in the first episode, I mentioned of partisan conspiracy theorists and ideologue conspiracy theorists. But now we're going to talk about conspiracy theory producers and conspiracy theory consumers. Let's start with the development of a conspiracy theory. As I mentioned in the first episode, about half the population believes in a conspiracy theory, and chances are you do as well. Let's name a few conspiracy theories. The JFK assassination, 9-11 being an inside job, whether Epstein killed himself, whether vaccines cause autism, whether 5G causes the coronavirus, and the Pizzagate conspiracy theory. I'd bet that you are inclined to at least engage with one of these conspiracy theories. But why is that? What attracted you to this specific conspiracy theory? We're going to look at a few of the theories that explain why people engage in conspiracy theory ideologies. The first theory is the herb behavior theory, which is defined as the following. Rational individuals with limited information will sometimes defer to crowd behavior and ignore private knowledge. And I want to share a story that will help explain how this theory is applied. Now, back in 2017, one of the biggest sporting events was the fight between Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. And back then, everyone was talking about this fight. Now, I am not a boxing fan, but when I went to work, my co-workers were talking about this fight, my managers, even the customers were talking about this fight. I went on break, I went on Facebook, and people were planning house parties to watch this specific fight. And at a certain point, I joined the hype. Suddenly, this fight that I had no knowledge prior to coming to work suddenly became important to me. And I wanted to become a part of it. I wanted to see who was going to win. And so once I left work, I went to pick up my girlfriend and I told her, I was like, we got to watch this fight. We got to like, this is, this is an important fight. And her response to me was, Nelson, you're not even a boxing fan. And I was like, yeah, you're right. But this fight is important. Everyone is talking about it. And I want to see who wins this fight. So eventually I convinced her and we headed out to Buffalo Wild Wings. And when we got to Buffalo Wild Wings, 
there was a giant line. And we were three people away before the security guard was like, all right, guys, we've reached our maximum. And I was like, no, I want to watch this fight. This fight is life or death. And so eventually we did find a, a place to, to go watch the fight between uh, Mayweather and um, Conor McGregor. It was a pretty sketchy place, but a place nonetheless. Paid 60 bucks to go in. And yeah, and, and I enjoyed it. It was, a, it, was a, it was a fun event. I was actually cheering for Conor McGregor, but that's the besides the point. So how do we apply this story to her behavior theory? Well, let's go back to the definition. Let's break it down. Her behavior is defined as rational individuals, and I'm going to assume that I am a rational individual, with limited information. The limited information in my story was that I was unaware of the importance of this fight or that the fight was going to occur, will sometimes defer to crowd behavior. The crowd behavior being my coworkers, my managers, the customers, and the long line that was in Buffalo Wild Wings, and ignore private knowledge. And the private knowledge would be my original stance on boxing, which was, I'm not a fan. So let's apply this to a conspiracy theory. And I think the best conspiracy theory that we can apply this to is the Wayfair conspiracy theory. Now, the Wayfair conspiracy theory started in the summer of 2020, which accused Wayfair of facilitating child trafficking. This conspiracy theory exploded all over Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And people that weren't necessarily conspiracy theorists by its general understanding suddenly started advocating for the salvation of these children. Now, it's important to know that human trafficking is a real thing. The exploitation of children is not a conspiracy theory. These horrible acts of evil do occur in parts of Asia, and I've even heard in parts of Mexico. But what makes this particular case a conspiracy theory? Let's take into consideration where this conspiracy theory originated from. The accusation started on the website of Reddit, from a username called Princess Peach 1987 And I don't know about you guys, but if someone is giving me information about human trafficking and that's their username, I'm not taking them seriously. However, most of the people that were sharing this conspiracy theory weren't concerned with where this conspiracy theory started. They were concerned with who the victims were. But as I said, child trafficking has always occurred. So why this surge of awareness in an issue that is still an unfortunate part of our world? It's because it was everywhere. Everyone was talking about this. And everyone wanted to be a part of this movement to save children. But in hindsight, the Wayfair conspiracy theory wasn't about saving children. As much as it was being a part of a community that felt like they were saving children. So let's apply this conspiracy theory with the herd behavior definition. Rational individuals, rational individuals being the people that weren't necessarily considered conspiracy theories by its general understanding with limited information. The limited information being that they didn't know where this conspiracy theory started from. Will sometimes defer to crowd behavior. The crowd behavior being... Everyone posting about the Wayfair conspiracy theory on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And ignore private knowledge, which in this case would be their stance on conspiracy theories, which these people might consider crazy or unrealistic once they have the information needed to identify between what's real and what's a conspiracy theory. Let's look at our second theory of how conspiracy theories develop. The follow the leader theory, which is defined as the following. Individuals who take cues from ideological, like-minded opinion leaders. Let's use a restaurant, for example, for this theory. Let's imagine you follow a food blogger, and you visit restaurants based on the reviews of this food blogger. From your experience, every time you read one of the reviews, 
about a good restaurant, your experience matches what they describe. The service is great, and the food is excellent. But one day you read a review about a restaurant that is supposedly a five-star restaurant. But upon arriving, you notice that there's an odd smell, and you even see that they have a yellow certificate that determines the cleanliness. Which, by the way, if you're not aware, means that the restaurant isn't the dirtiest place to eat, but it isn't the cleanest either. As you're waiting for your food, you notice across the street a Panera Bread. And there is a line outside the cafe, and that cafe is packed. Now, according to the herb behavior theory, you would actually get up and go to Panera Bread. Because you notice the crowd, and you have made your decision based on the number of people who have made the option to eat at Panera Bread. The follow the leader theory, however, states that you'll actually stay at that restaurant. Because the opinion of the food blogger takes precedence of the opinion of the crowd that are at Panera Bread. So now let's apply this to a conspiracy theory. Or in this instance, a myth. Let's use the Berkner Movement. The Berkner Movement was a, a myth that was started by our current president, Donald Trump, who accused Barack Obama at the time of not being an American citizen. Now, this was actually debunked once the Hawaii Department of Health confirmed that Barack Obama's birth certificate was actually authentic. It was real. However, this conspiracy theory didn't discourage many Republicans and a lot of Trump supporters from accusing Barack Obama of not being an American citizen. So why is that? Why did this myth persist? It's because who was spreading this theory? Supporters of the birther movement politically aligned with Donald Trump. Remember, Donald Trump is a Republican, supposedly. So it was a lot easier for them to accept this theory as absolute truth since it was coming from a Republican. However, since the Hawaii Department of Health went against their belief, they rejected it. In other words, confirmation bias, which is the tendency to look only for evidence that supports what one already believes while ignoring contrary evidence. And we all have confirmation bias. We all practice this at some point, subconsciously. I'll use myself for an example. I identify as a progressive. So I am more likely to accept a news report from NPR than I would want from Fox News. Before I even click on the link to read an article, I've already determined the value of the article that I will read. Before I even look at what the article has to say, I have made my judgment. I have put value on the source of information, not based on the content, but on who is providing the information. Now, I am aware of my confirmation bias, so I engage in all types of news media, regardless if it goes against my political affiliation, if it goes against my values, I will still engage in it. However, some people do not recognize your confirmation bias. So in summary, the value of evidence isn't determined by its content, but by the person who's providing it. Let's look at the third theory of how conspiracy theories develop. And this one is the preference falsification theory. And it's defined as the following. Individuals will hide their support for an unpopular belief until critical mass of like-minded people create a sense of safety in numbers by publicly advocating the idea. Let's use me for an example. Let's say we're friends and we have two other friends. So that makes four of us in total. And I ask each one of you guys to listen to my podcast and give me your quote-unquote honest opinion. Now, take into consideration that in this group of friends, I'm the most popular. And even though I said, give me your honest opinion, giving your honest opinion would result in me kicking you out of the group unless you tell me what I want to hear. At the same time, I would rather lose one friend than lose all three of the friends in this group. The day comes and I ask, what do you guys think? Was the podcast good? The first friend says he loved it. The second friend says that it was the best podcast he ever heard. And then I look at you, 
and ask you, what did you think? However, you disagree, and you think that my podcast is absolutely garbage, you disagree with friend number one and two. You disagree so much that you actually gave me a one-star review on, on Apple Podcasts, which, by the way, hypothetically, fuck you. According to preference falsification, you're going to tell me exactly what I want to hear, and this is because you know that your true opinion of my podcast would result in me kicking you out of the group. Now you're probably thinking, isn't that her behavior? Aren't you following the crowd? Or in this example, friend one and two? Well, not exactly. Because you have no idea how friend one and two really feel. When I asked the first friend what he thought of the podcast, he thought of how you and our second friend would respond. Would he had been honest with me, just like you were, and had you and the second friend told me exactly what I wanted to hear, then he would have been kicked out of the group. Instead, he went with the safest choice, which was telling me how awesome my podcast was. But now let's say that when I ask you guys what you thought of my podcast, friend number one and friend number two were brutally honest with me and told me that I should never podcast ever. Once I ask you what you think, it makes it a lot easier for you to be honest with me. Because you know you have the majority of the support in our group. And you know that I would rather have you guys be honest with me than to remove myself from the group entirely. The same behavior can actually be related to school. Think of the worst grade you've ever gotten in an exam. Let's say you got a 36 out of 100 on a math test. And all your friends got an average of an 80. When they ask you what you got, you're reluctant to answer because you know the consequences of telling them. You would be made fun of and they would call you stupid. But if all your friends also flunk the exam and get a similar grade than you, you're more willing to share your grade because now you can relate to them. The same thing occurs when conspiratorial ideologies begin to develop. Since conspiracy theories are considered fringe in our society, people are less likely to share their feelings towards certain beliefs. It is only when people find other individuals who share the same values will they begin to openly express their beliefs without fear because they are in an environment where they won't be ostracized. Now that we've addressed how conspiracy theories develop, let's look at how conspiracy theories are reinforced. We're going to focus now on conspiracy theory consumers and producers. If you ever talk to a conspiracy theorist about Big Pharma, a central theme to their beliefs is that Big Pharma is making profit off our health. Now this is true, Big Pharma is a multi-billion dollar industry, and the corruption that occurs is beyond anything that even I can comprehend. That being said, the realm of conspiratorial ideologies follows the same practice in making a profit. While Big Pharma profits off our health, conspiracy theories profit off the fear of the American people. Let's look at the 5G conspiracy theory. The 5G conspiracy theory claims that 5G towers are being installed to spread the coronavirus. According to conspiracy theories, the EMFs that are produced are causing seizures, cancer, low infertility, and homosexuality. I'm just joking about the last part, I made that up, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone actually believes in it. Now all this sounds dangerous, so how are you going to protect yourself from all this excessive radiation? Well for one, you can burn down the 5G towers like they were doing in England a couple of months back. But that actually takes effort, and I doubt anyone has time to buy fireworks and fire and take down a 5G tower. So instead of burning down the tower and being thrown in jail, you can actually purchase a 5G protection necklace that, according to conspiracy theorists, will deflect any EMF radiation. You can actually purchase these on Amazon for like $20. Of course, these necklaces don't actually protect you from EMF radiation, nor do 5G towers do any of the harmful things conspiracy theorists claim they do. However, that hasn't stopped people from buying these necklaces or other overpriced items that somehow protect them from hazardous radiation. 
I recall people were selling these $350 balls on Instagram that supposedly was a protection against 5G. Now, I'm happy to say that a lot of the comments were calling the bullshit on the price gouge of a ball that made some mythical sound. But these individuals were trying to push their products at a time when conspiratorial ideas of 5G were spreading. Alex Jones, for example, is notorious for doing this in his program Infowar, making claims that the tap water is making frogs and children gay. If you don't want your kids coming out gay, he'll sell you a water filter that will filter out all the gay chemicals. And the sad reality is that people have actually invested their hard-earned money on his products. Alex Jones, from what I've heard, is now worth $10 billion, every dollar which has been a result of the right-wing propaganda he feeds his audience. But not every conspiracy theorist is in the game to make a financial profit. Let's take Andrew Wakefield, for example. Mr. Wakefield is the creator of the anti-vaccine movement which he started when he published a research paper that suggested that vaccines were correlated with the increase of autism. When his research experiment was replicated by other independent researchers, they found many flaws. One of the flaws being that his sample size was too small, which wasn't a good representation of the effects of vaccines. However, instead of accepting the results of the other independent researchers, he accused them of trying to distort the true danger of vaccines. His paper was later retracted, and he lost his license to practice. But that didn't stop Mr. Wakefield from accusing the scientific consensus of trying to deceive the population about the harms of vaccines. He had garnered actually the support of mothers whose children had been diagnosed with autism and couldn't understand why their children could be affected by a debilitating disorder. So these poor mothers blamed it on the only thing that they can think of, vaccines, and in doing so, supporting Mr. Wakefield. Andrew Wakefield finally got the one thing he wanted that he didn't get from the scientific community, approval. And since his stance on vaccines gave him the spotlight he wanted, he continued to produce the fear that his audience wanted to believe. Some people ask, why do people believe in conspiracy theories? And while I understand where the question is coming from, I think a better one is, why are people spreading conspiracy theories? Some people spread them because they're actually concerned of their environment, but others have found a way to make a profit off people, make a profit off their fear, and misunderstanding of social, political, and medical issues. When we look at it from this perspective, it is clear that conspiracy theories are an endless cycle of fear that not only robs a person of their sense of reality, but of their hard-earned money. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Join me next time as we break down the movement. Hashtag, save the children. And remember, question everything with logic.